God wants you to experience the life that He designed. We can't allow life to kill the dream that we dream. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. You will look back on your life and you'll say, man, life is good. The Word of God brings the abundant life into focus and within your grasp. As you listen, open your heart and discover life. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them. I hope you're grateful, thankful this Thanksgiving season. And uh, I want you to open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 16. I titled this message, having an, uh, having an Eye having an eye for the Reward. Having an Eye for the Reward. And one of the things I've been doing, I started last week, is trying to get everybody to have an eternal perspective. That's one of the hardest things to get people to do, is to think in terms of eternity. You know, the Bible says that our life here on this earth is like a vapor. It appears for a little while, then vanishes away. Our natural life here, eternity is a long time. How many of us here? Eternity is a long time. And our life here on this earth is, is very short. I mean, that's an understatement in comparison to eternity. And how we spend our life here on this earth determines our place in eternity. And we want Christians, especially to have an eternal perspective. And so I told you this last week that there is actually a judgment that every person that's born in this world will, go, will experience. There is a judgment. Everybody will. And, uh, you know, when you think about the word judgment, how many, when I say judgment, you immediately think bad? How many think that? So the church I grew up in, you know, it wasn't like an official hardcore fire, uh, hell, fire and brimstone church. But we did touch it once in a while, just enough to kind of scorch you a little bit, and then that we'd get away from it a little bit. But uh, so we did talk about hellfire and uh, and judgment. So I grew up thinking when you think about judgment, it's always bad. And so about I mean this is like 20 years ago. I was sitting there one day, and I was thinking about judgment, and all of a sudden this like this little voice inside of me said, "Judgment is not bad if you're innocent." And I went, what? Who said, I mean, I was so shocked. And uh, the voice said, judgment's not bad if you're innocent. In fact, judgment is good if you're innocent. It's called justice. If you're innocent, judgment is good. It's called justice. You know, and then the thought came to my mind was, you know, in, um, in the old Wild West, remember, I don't know if you ever watched cowboy movies. I love cowboy movies. You know, one of my, I love Clint Eastwood movies. I admit it. I like them. You know, you're going to draw them pistols or whistle Dixie. You know, that's kind of, that's where I live. You know, that's where I, I know. You think, you, you, now you're thinking I'm shallow, but I, I like those kind of movies. And, and so anyways, uh, years ago, I haven't seen the movie for a long time, but he had, Clint Eastwood had this movie called Hang Em High. Do you guys remember that one? Where he got hung, you know, and then he miraculously got out of it. Because there is a God. And, uh, and so then he uh, became a sheriff. And, but but what, one thing the movie does depict is that how hard it is, how hard it was to tame the Old West. And so they had like frontier justice. Frontier justice was if they think you did something wrong, we just hang you. We just decided you're guilty, so we hang you. And so it was very difficult to tame the Old West because they didn't have a good court system. You know, law and order. I mean, we have law and order, but if you lived in a situation where they didn't have law and order, you'd want law and order. Law and order is a good thing, by the way. And so having a just court system is actually a good thing. And so judgment's not bad if you're innocent. Judgment is good. We look forward to judgment if you're innocent. It's called justice. And so God is a God of judgment. And what's interesting here, I want you to turn to John 16. It says, and he, and he talked, Jesus talking here about the Holy Spirit. It says, and he when, he, when he has come, talking about the Holy Spirit, will convict the world in respect of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, if I stop right there, this is how I would, this is how I would interpret that verse. The Holy Spirit comes and he will convince the world of sin. And so the way I'd interpret that is we're all sinners. So he convicts us or convinces us that we're sinners, that we, 
we, we lie, we cheat. Not you guys, other people out there. They lie, they cheat, they steal. And the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts us of sin. And then the second one is of, judge, of righteousness because we're not righteous and we need to get right with God. And the Holy Spirit will tell us that we are not righteous and that we need to get right with God. And of judgment because if we don't quit sinning, and if we don't get right with God, God is going to fry us with judgment. How many, is that a pretty clear uh, picture of what most of the time we think about those three words, sin, righteous, judgment. And so if you stop reading with the first line there, he says, the Holy Spirit will convince the world of sin, righteous, judgment. But if you keep reading, he explains what he means. He defines those three words. Of sin... Because they believe not on me. So what is the sin that the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of? Is they don't believe on Jesus. In fact, listen to this now. Don't get mad, just think about it. The only sin that sends a sinner to hell is rejecting Christ. The only sin, the sin that sends a sinner to hell is rejecting Christ. Some people say, well, what about the impardonable sin? Blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. Well, just think about it for a second. If you read the context of that verse, what they were doing, the Pharisees were doing, is they were calling a work of the Holy Spirit demonic. They were saying he casts out demons by the Beelzebub, the prince of demons. They were saying that a work of the Holy Spirit is of the devil. And so think about it. If you can't come to Christ without the Holy Spirit, and you're calling the Holy Spirit the devil, you're not going to come to Christ. That's why it's the unpardonable sin, because you can't come to Christ without the Holy Spirit drawing you. But the only sin that sends the sinner to hell is rejecting Christ. So Christ, then, is the basis of our salvation. Now, sin, think about this for a second. Sin does affect you. The Bible says that sin destroys the soul. And so it does affect your life. But God, listen, God does not break off his relationship with you because you sin. He doesn't. Now, you might, you might have problems with the fe in, in fellowship with God because you feel guilty, but God doesn't break his relationship with you because you sin. Now, sin can work so much upon your soul, can work on your soul so, and damage your soul so much that you could walk away from Christ and renounce Christ, but he won't. He'll never turn his back on you. How many can see that? And so uh, the, the sin that the Holy Spirit convinces of, us of is of not believing in Christ. How many can see that? And then the second thing that he says of righteousness, because I go to the Father, you'll see me no more. What did Jesus do when he went to the Father? He went to the Father and he established, uh, an, eternal relation, established an eternal redemption for us. He brought us into right standing with God. He brought the whole human race into right standing with God. And if we'll believe that, accept that, we'll be brought into right standing with God. So he's convincing us. The Holy Spirit is convincing us, you know what? A way has been made for you. you there's a seat there prepared for you. There's a seat there prepared for you already right now. There's a seat prepared for you. And if you just come and accept this and take your seat right there at the table, he provided it for you. He provided right standing with God for you. And he gives it, Bible calls righteousness a gift. He gives it to you as a gift. So the Holy Spirit is endeavoring to get you to accept what Jesus provided for you. So he's going to try to convince you, you're right, you know. You have right standing with God, you know. He provided this, he provided this for you, you know. He took away sin by the sacrifice himself and he offered his blood on the, on the, uh, the eternal uh, throne, mercy seat for your eternal redemption and it's been provided. So come and accept it. Come and take your seat. See, the Holy Spirit's trying to convince you of that. Come and take your seat. But you, know, you want, might want to say some other things, but he says, come and take your seat. So that's the second thing of righteousness. And the third thing of judgment, now listen to this. He says, because what? The prince of this world is judged. See, judgment is really directed at Satan. God's judgment is directed at Satan. The problem with the reason people get judged 
and get sent to hell is because they reject Jesus. But God didn't make hell for people. He made it for Satan and his angels. How many know that's true? It says that in the Bible. I'm not making this up. I'm actually reading. This is from the Bible. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. It wasn't made for people. The problem is, if Satan is your Lord, you will, when you die, you'll go to where your Lord is. If Jesus is your Lord, when you die, you'll go to where he is. And so that's why the Holy Spirit comes. And what he's trying to convince you is that old devil that you're bothered with, he's already been judged. I judged him. I, I, said, I, I dethroned him. I dethroned principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. He dethroned principalities and power. We can't be defeated by a defeated foe. If Satan goes, I want to talk to you about your past, you should say, I want to talk to you about your future. Doesn't look good for you. I wish I could make a fire noise right now. Right? Does that sound like a fire noise? I wish I could do a better job. I had a friend that could make all kinds of noises, you know. But so the Holy Spirit. So here's a way you can decide. Is this voice or is this impression or this feeling that I have? Is this the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know. Is it convincing you of sin that you should believe on Jesus of righteousness that you are right with God? He provide that way and of judgment that Satan is defeated. Is it convinced? Is that voice or that impression convincing you of those three things? If it isn't. I don't think it's the Holy Spirit. I think it's some other spirit. How many can see what I'm saying? And so we have to be clear about that. Now, so when we think about judgment, don't think about it as a bad thing. Think about it as a good thing. Especially for the Christian. See, last week I talked to you, there's two judgments in eternity. Now, there is judgment in time, you know, in, in a present time. But we were talking about judgment in eternity. There's two judgments in eternity. One is the great white throne judgment where, where uh, all sinners are judged. And the Bible says because they rejected Christ, their name is not written in the book of Lamb's book of life. And that judgment is under condemnation. It says that they'll, they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. It says that in the Bible, Roman, Revelation chapter 20. That's the great white throne judgment. The other judgment is the judgment seat of Christ. All believers, all believers are judged at the judgment seat of Christ. But what's interesting about this verse or about this word judgment is it's different than the other word judgment. This word judgment is, called, is the Greek word bima. And what it means is it, it gives you, it's an elevated platform where people that competed in athletics, like in the games back in Paul's day, when they received their prize or when they received their crown, they would take their stand on this elevated platform and they would be given a, re they would be given a reward or a, a crown, be put upon their heads. That's what the word is. It's an elevated platform. And so this judgment, when we talk about the judgment seat of Christ, is not a judgment under condemnation, but it's to determine rewards. Everybody say rewards. rewards. So here... I want us to have an eye for eternal rewards because there is such a thing as eternal rewards. Amen. Christians are judged at this judgment and it's to determine rewards. It's not a judgment under condemnation. See, Jesus said this, if you give a cup of cold water to a little one who believes in me, he says, you won't lose your reward. You know, God's keeping score on the reward thing. I mean, it, what he, he sees everything that you do, and he, and he records it. And what God does is he plans on rewarding you for what you've done. Now, see, when I say that, people go, uh-oh. Don't think like that. Okay? Don't think like that. Think in terms of a good thing, God's reward. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Now without faith, it's impossible to please him, for the one who comes to God must believe that he is, now listen to this, and that he's a rewarder. He rewards those who seek him. Not only that we believe that he is, but we must believe 
that he rewards, that there is a reward. And what faith does, when faith is, is in your heart, what happens is you have a consciousness, I'm, gonna, I'm God's reward. Someday I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be given an award, reward for these things that I'm going through, these things that I'm doing for the kingdom of God's sake. I'm going to have. And so the Bible says both in this life we're rewarded, but also in the life that is to come. We receive a reward. How many know that in this life your faith can be rewarded? But also in the life that is to come, your faith can be rewarded. See, so, see what we do as humans is we, you know, we, we look at other people. We say, why does he have to drive a new car? You know, we, we get upset about somebody who drives a new car or somebody has a new house or whatever. But here's the thing. You have to look at it like this. If, this, if that person got it by faith, don't criticize him. Use your faith to get it. Amen. Let your God is less bent out of shape over something like a new car, or a new house. He's less bent out of shape. But what he really loves is when we use our faith. He loves the development of our faith. Now, if you mortgage yourself to your eyeballs to get a new car, I think that was really stupid. And I don't think you could say God gave me that. I don't think that God did that. Right. Some of you got you got really quiet all of a sudden. Why did you get quiet? Sometimes we have to go by delayed gratification. You don't need it right now. Right? Okay, I'll just get off that subject. Okay, so. So, and then, then in another verse in Hebrews chapter 11, and verse 20, 26, it's talking about Moses. It says, He regarded abuse, suffered for Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for his eyes were fixed on the reward. In other words, he had an eye for the reward. One, one of the things that we, we lose sight of sometimes is that uh, we lose sight of the fact that, you know, if you're going through something, we can be so consumed by what we're going through. We can fixate on what we're going through that we don't realize that if you go through this and you go through it in faith and you have your eye on the reward, that actually it's worth going through it. Suffering makes sense if... You can see the reward in it or the purpose in it. If you can't see the reward in or the purpose in it, then suffering doesn't make sense. It stinks. Right. But if you can see the reward and you can see the purpose in it, then you can make sense out of it. And what happens is don't get stuck there. Go through it and get the reward. Go through it by faith. Don't give up. And so we have these two judgments. We have the judgment seat of Christ. And we have eternal judgment, or we have the great white throne judgment. So let's talk a little bit about the, the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 10 and 11, try to hurry here. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what he is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is plain also to your conscience. And so, so what he's saying here is that we'll all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now this, like I said, is not a judgment to condemnation, but a judgment to determine rewards. So what we do with Jesus determines where we'll spend eternity, heaven or hell. How we live as believers determines how we'll spend eternity. Let me just say that one more time. What we do with Jesus determines where we'll spend eternity, heaven or hell. How we live as believers determines how we'll spend eternity. I remember I heard this. In other words, the two, the two extreme perspectives continuum is the one perspective or continuum is that we'll rule and reign with Christ. And the other end of the spectrum is we'll be saved yet as by fire. That means all our works will be burnt up. But we'll be saved through fire. That's one. That's the bad. That's like a, from a t one to ten. That's a zero. But at least you made it. But the other spectrum is, is that you rule and reign with Christ. That's a better. How many want to rule and reign with Christ? I, I want to do that one, right? And so uh, those are. That's the spectrum that de that's determined in eternity. And so every single one of us, we have a choice. We, are, we have a choice. So what happens is when you go through stuff, you're, 
what you do is your gaze starts to go down and you start looking at this problem and all you see is this problem. And that's all you just think, well, my my life would get so much better if I could just get this problem solved, if I could just get this problem solved. And all of a sudden, your whole life becomes obsessed with just getting this one problem solved. How many know what I'm talking about? You obsess over this little problem. I got this problem. I got this problem. Every day you talk to God about it. I got this problem. We got this problem. Have you thought about this problem yet, Lord? Have you thought about it? I mean, are you paying attention? I'm paying attention. Are you paying attention? All I think about it. I wake up in the morning. I got this problem. I go to bed at night. I got this problem. During the day, I'm thinking about this problem. God, are you thinking about this problem? I guess I just got to wear you out. I just, at night and day, I'm going to wear you out. And then we, nothing to get solved. Then we go, going, why, God, why? When God win? How God how? And then God's up there going, shut up. <laughs> you, you think that what I'm saying is not common to man, but think about it. Remember the woman who came to Jesus and said, cast the devil out of my daughter. And Jesus ignored her. He just kept walking. He goes, cast the devil out of my daughter. 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 And he just kept ignoring her. Finally, the disciples go, tell her to shut up. And what did he say? He said, I'm not supposed to give the children's bread to dogs. He called her a dog. And he, she stepped up and said, it says she worshipped him. And then she stepped up and said, yeah, but dogs get crumbs. I don't care what anybody says. That's a good thought right there. He goes, whoa. After she worshipped him. In other words, what worship is, is for a moment, she took her focus and her attention off. I have this need. From that to, you are awesome. And all of a sudden he got a response. She got a response from him. Sometimes, you know, we have to take our focus off, I got this need. I'm not saying you're not supposed to pray about needs, but sometimes praying about it constantly, you're not getting anywhere. You're not getting anywhere. Some of the most powerful things you can do is to worship. It's just worship and be thankful. Praise God. We don't thank God because he makes everything go smooth in our life. We worship and thank God because of who he is. You are the creator of everything. And whether everything works out totally the way I want it or planned at this particular moment right now, it doesn't matter. But I'm going to worship you anyways in the midst of this situation. And you know what? That's doing a ka-ching in heaven. Ka-ching. Ka-ching. I mean, anybody can praise God when everything's going all right. But it takes really a person of faith to lift their hands up and say, I'm thanking you. I'm going to lift my voice and thank you, God, so much. Amen. Boy, you're preaching good today, Steve. I know I am. It's awesome. Just getting excited up here. So here's the deal. I can't remember what I was saying now. Oh, do you guys remember what I was saying? It was really good, though. I remember that. So we can be consumed. So we can be consumed. This is what I was saying. We can be so consumed with an issue. And I do it myself. I just fixate on something. I'm looking at this situation. I just keep looking at it, looking at it, looking at it, until finally I got knots in my stomach. And I'm just, I'm all tore up inside. I can't, I can't hardly sleep at night. I wake up in the middle of the night, walk the floor, thinking about that situation, praying, asking God, why doesn't he do something about the situation? What are you doing up there? You're paying attention. You know, and, and, and instead of just saying, you know what, in this situation, the most powerful thing I can do is be thankful and, and to really spend some time worshiping. Yeah. Amen. That is good right there. I want you to turn to another verse here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is what I talked to you about last week, and this is kind of goes along with what I'm saying. And this is actually the heart of the verse. So we got to have an eternal perspective is what I'm talking about in, in situations. So 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, it says, For no, other, no one can lay any foundation other than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's, that is what it means to be saved. We lay the foundation of Jesus Christ in our life. That's what it means to be saved. But then it says this, If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stone, wood, hay, stubble, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. The fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he's built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Everybody say reward. reward. If it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, yet 
will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. So what he's saying here is this, is that when we become a Christian, the foundation that's laid in our life is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation that's laid in our lives. And then we, by our actions and by, by having certain values or whatever, we begin to build upon that foundation. And he, he says there's two, two, classes of, two classes of works. One is wood, hay, and stubble. And the other is gold, silver, and precious stone. Now, how many can tell that those two categories are worlds apart? I mean, they're not even close. When you think about wood, hay, and stubble, and, and see, I want you to see that we are the ones that decide what we're going to build on that. We build upon the foundation. It's up to us. Either wood, hay, or stubble, gold, silver, precious stone. And so wood, hay, and stubble really are things that are temporal things. Tem they're temporal. They're natural. Because wood, hay, and stubble rot over time. Wood, if you leave it alone for a while, it rots. Turns to powder. So wood, hay, and stubble is temporal. It's things that are common, easy to find, abundant in quantity, large in size, and you find them usually laying above the ground. So in other words, if I said, go out here and find wood, hay, and stubble, you could do that. Be no problem. You could find it probably in a matter of just seconds. If I said, go, you get $100 here, you can find some wood. You'd run to the woods back here and pick up a big stick of wood, come running back. Where's my $100? You know, right? I mean, you could do that pretty fast. So when Paul talks about activities or actions that are wood, hay, and stubble, what he's talking about are things that are common to people. Philosophies, values that people in the world have. Like, like they have a perspective. Let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Have you ever heard the expression, you only live once? How many have heard the expression, you only live once? You only live once. You know that's not true. You live twice. Because when this life is over, they'll bury you, but there'll be a resurrection and you'll live again. I mean, you'll live in heaven, but I mean, you'll live on this earth. It says that we'll live on the earth for a thousand years with Christ, if you're a believer. And so you'll live again. There'll be a resurrection of your body and you'll be resurrected and you'll live again. So when they say you only live once, that is not true. You live twice. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to live again, you know. It's not over with. Don't tell him that part, though. I heard a guy say one time that the philosophy that he lives by is he who dies with the most stuff wins. He who dies with the most stuff wins. Really? That sounds like a Christian principle, doesn't it? Christian value. Here, here's what here's a, this is an old saying that we used to say, get all you can. How many know what the next one is? Can all you get so you can afford to sit on your can and do nothing. The American dream, retirement, so I can do all the things that I want to do. That's wood, hay, and stubble. That's things that are common to people. People do that all the time. That's ordinary. That's ordinary stuff. That, if somebody said to you, I want to get all I can, sit on the can so I can live the American dream, just do everything I want to do, you say, everybody thinks that way. But how many people think, I want, to, I want my life to count. I want to do something for the kingdom. I want to terrorize the devil. I want to subdue kingdoms. I want to bring about righteousness. I want to bring about justice in the earth. I want to see people's lives transformed. I want to lay down. I want my life to be poured out so that nations and other people can hear the gospel, that their lives can be changed and transformed. I want to make a difference in this world for the kingdom. Amen. That's not common to man. If you find somebody like that, you go, oh, you're rare. You know what that is? That's gold, silver, precious stone. How many follow me? And so what we're after is gold, silver, and precious stone. See, gold, silver, and precious stone are things that are eternal, hard to find, expensive, small in size. Usually find them underground. You've got to dig for them. It has to do with your motives and why you do the thing that you do. To be, you know, Jesus talked about it. If you pray to be seen by man, or if you fast to be seen by man, or if you give to be seen by man, you have your reward. 
But if you do it in secret, in other words, your motive is not to be seen by man. It says your father who sees in secret will do what? Reward. Everybody say reward again. Rewards you what? Openly. So what are you after? I'm after God's reward. I mean, man's reward really is like, okay, you did a good job. Thanks. But it's over now. I mean, but God's reward just keeps on giving. And that's what I'm after. I'm after God's reward. I want God to reward me. And so what we build on this foundation is up to us. The foundation that was laid is Jesus Christ. What we build on it is up to us. It doesn't, it's not up to God, it's up to us. So, our, so the first thing is that we have to have an eternal perspective. We can't, have, we can't adopt the philosophy of the world. Otherwise, if we, if we adopt the philosophy of the world, then it's wood, hay, and stubble. You know, I heard this guy say this one time. He said, if you, if, this is C.S. Lewis. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. But C.S. Lewis said, heard of him? Come on, Steve, coming to the 20th century. Uh, if you read history, this is what he said. If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most about the next one. Let me just read that one more time. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were those who thought the most about the next. It is since Christians, I'm still quoting him, since Christians have largely ceased thinking about the next world that they have become so ineffectual in the present. That's a good thought. To, to be to be thinking in terms, does, this, does my life have an eternal purpose? Does, am, I having a, a, am I having an impact for eternity? Am I making a difference for eternity in people's lives? That's a tremendous thought right there. Now, here's what's interesting. Most Christians don't set out to live ineffectual lives with temporal values. See, if you have temporal values, you'll have shallow victories. You know, we, last week I was talking about the Vikings. Wasn't that, a, wasn't that a kick in the throat? I won't go into that. Because tonight... <laughs> we won't talk about who will win tonight. Or is it today or tonight? Oh, you guys all know tonight. Well, it won't matter in eternity, will it? <laughs> It'll just make me feel better, though, for a moment. So most, most Christians don't set out to live ineffectual lives. I mean, we don't, we don't go, hmm, I'm going to live a shallow, ineffective, ineffectual life. For the, we, don't, we don't do that. But you know that most Christians, they end up doing it because of certain forces working against them. Let me give you an example. You know, I, I remember I heard this preacher, he, he, he told this dream he had. He said, it was really a weird dream. He said, I was in heaven. In the dream, he was in heaven. And he said, all of a sudden, he saw all these people in heaven, and they were all rejoicing, and they were happy, and it was just wonderful. They were lining the streets. And all of a sudden, he heard the sound of marching footsteps, like an army. And he looked over, and he saw this huge army coming through the gates of heaven. And all the people in heaven were rejoicing. And this army came marching through the streets of heaven and all the people were rejoicing. And he said there was a, Jesus was standing in the middle of heaven, kind of up on a high plat, platform. And these soldiers came marching through and they came to Jesus in the middle of the heaven and they offered to him the spoils that they had, their works or their spoils that they had, souls that they had, affected on earth. They offered it to him and it went up like praise to God. And the Lord spoke to him. He was in this dream. The Lord spoke to him and said, do you want to be one of the people in heaven that rejoices over the soldiers and what they did? Or do you want to be one of the soldiers who makes an impact? Which one do you want to be? And I don't want to just be there rejoicing over the soldiers that made an impact. I want to be one of the soldiers. How about you? 
So to do that, we have to have an eternal perspective. What happens is sometimes we get into it by fear. Look at this verse here, Matthew chapter 6. I'm almost done. So if you guys can hang on a few more moments, we'll get it. We'll nail, we'll put a bow on this baby and put it under the Christmas tree. Where's our Christmas tree, by the way? <laughs> What's wrong with this place? We don't have a Christmas tree? Don't we have, aren't we supposed to have a Christmas tree after Thanksgiving? Come on! So that we deck it with silver and gold and put presents under it? And well, Forget about it. Okay. Look at Matthew 6, verse 24 and 25. It says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, both God and money. And that's a pretty rough verse. How many would agree with that? He's saying that if you, if you serve money, you're not serving God. If you love money, you don't love God. If, you, if, you, if, you're, um, if you're devoted to money, you despise God. That's what he, that's what he says. That's pretty rough. You can't serve both. You, you can only serve one. But notice the next verse. He starts out by saying, therefore. How many remember what the word therefore is for? Therefore is a connecting word. So in other words, you just got done saying that there's a danger in serving money. You can't serve God in money. Therefore, I say unto you, notice what he says, don't worry about your life. What he's trying to say is that if you worry about your life, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What's going to happen to us? What will become of us? If you worry about it, what he says is you'll end up serving money. You didn't do it as a strategy. You didn't just get up in the morning and say, I'm going to serve money. You didn't do it as a strategy, but you got forced into it because you let fear dominate you. How many can see what I'm saying? You let fear get in. What are we going to do? What about... You're worried about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you'll wear. And you let that in. I don't know if you've ever done that, but I have. I start thinking about what's going to happen. Because you can't tell the future. And you've got to get a hold of yourself. You say, wait a second here. There is a God. I serve him. And he'll take care of us. The Bible says, David said, I was... I was young, now I'm old. This one thing I've seen. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. God will take care of us. Turn to your neighbor and point, at the point him in the face and say, God will take care of us. Tell him, snap out of it. God will take care of us. Because if you worry, if you worry... You didn't, you didn't end up serving money as a strategy, but you worried your way into it. How many can see that? That's why he says, don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. Take care of everything. That was my godfather impression. I take care of everything. That's Father God. That's Father God. Father God, not Godfather, but Father God. Father God. I'll take care of everything. Don't worry about it, right? Some of you never saw the movie. You're looking at me like, what? Godfather, yeah. So it's not a strategy. What happens is we get pushed there because of fear. Look at, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 32. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows you need them. Why do you worry? What are you worried about? Why are you worried? Well, you don't know what I'm facing. Why are you worried? I mean, you're the only person on earth that has faced difficulty before? You'd be the first one that God pulled out of this a situation like this? Come on! He specializes in this. He specializes in taking difficult situations and turning them around totally and, and for you to have a testimony for his glory. He specializes. But what does he tell you to do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Verse 633, and all these things shall be added unto you. So seek first the kingdom of God. Let's all the worship team come. Let's all stand together. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
and all these things shall be added unto you. So things, really things aren't a problem with God. Things aren't a problem with God. You know, it's so interesting if you look at this, these verses here in Matthew. Actually, I, I love to, I, I read this one time years ago. And one of the things that Jesus brings up here in Matthew 6, he talks about Solomon. He says, Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Talking about the, the, the flowers and the, you know, the beauty of nature. He talks about the beauty of nature and how God clothed it all. And he said, Solomon wasn't arrayed like one of these. So then I went back in the Old Testament. I started reading about Solomon. And Solomon, you know, in Solomon's day, Solomon sat on an ivory throne. You should go, wow. It had like, I think it was either three or six steps up. And there was a, a lion head here made of ivory and a lion head here made of ivory. So the whole throne's made out of ivory. Wow. In fact, they had so much silver and gold in Solomon's day that it was so plentiful that they would take the silver and dump it in big piles outside the city. They had silver dunes. You, kids would go out there and play in them. Instead of playing in sand, they'd play in silver dunes. Wow. It's amazing the, the tremendous wealth of Solomon. And God said that, Jesus said that God, Jesus or God clothed the grass of the field more spectacular than Solomon. Then he goes, what are you, aren't you more valuable to God than a bunch of wildflowers? And the answer is yes. What are you worried about? Amen? Get your perspective heavenly. Seek, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will add it unto you. You watch God do it. You put God first. You watch God. He'll do it for you. He's amazing. He'll figure out a way to get it to you. Amen. Let's sing this song together. You got a song we can sing? In your love and affection It's the sweetest of all Oh Lord, I know my heart Wants more of you My heart wants something new So I surrender all And all I want 
again Throw my fears into the wind I am desperate for a touch of heaven Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. You know, one of the greatest touches from heaven you can have is when God touches you and gives you his wisdom, gives you his heavenly, a heavenly perspective of your situation. We live our lives by interpretation. Things happen to us and we interpret what it means. Oftentimes we get the wrong interpretation. I don't know if you've ever been in a foreign country where you try to understand what they're saying. Stuff is happening to us, and we're always interpreting, what does this mean? What does this mean? And sometimes we get the wrong interpretation. Sometimes we are on the crest of a mighty breakthrough. It may not be a breakthrough in the thing that we're going through, but it's a breakthrough that's it's coming into our hearts and lives. God is positioning us for a supernatural breakthrough where we'll take a step into our destiny where doors will begin to open up to us that we thought were impenetrable, but they'll begin to open up to us. But what God is trying to do is trying to get us to turn loose of what is temporal and begin to see and, and handle and taste and touch that which is eternal. Hallelujah. God is beginning to work in your lives. He is more interested. He is more interested in that which is eternal than that which is temporal. Hallelujah. And he's trying to get you to focus, to lift up your gaze, to begin to focus on that which is eternal, that which lasts for a lifetime. Not that which is burnt in the fire, but that which is eternal, that which is gold, that which is silver, that which is precious stone. He's beginning to build that into your life. And he's trying to position you where you'll turn loose of that which is wood, hay, and stubble and begin to encounter that which is eternal, that which is a part of your destiny. Hallelujah. He wants you to be effective. He wants, to, he wants you to be effective in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. I tell you, there's a positioning going on in this room right now. There's a, a positioning that God is positioning you for his purposes, his design, the things that he purposed in his heart for you before the foundation of the world. He's positioning you. Don't get stuck in the temporal. Don't get stuck fixated on a situation or a circumstance that you can't control anyways. What good does it do to worry about it? For heaven's sake, what good does it do to worry about it? No good whatsoever. Turn it loose. Give it to God. Put it in his hands. Cast your care upon him. He cares about you. Praise God. Give it to him. Let him have it. Let him work it out. Hallelujah. He'll position you for breakthrough. He'll position you for purpose, design. Amen. I'm glad I said all that. That was, the, that was God. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. I'm just trying to say that there's something that's so much more important than the problem you're facing right now. There's things that are so much more important. There's eternal things, eternal breakthrough, eternal, there's kingdoms that are supposed to, that he wants to subdue. He wants to bring down. Amen. And he wants to see his kingdom come. Praise God. That's a good word right there. Amen. Praise God. Well, seems like we're supposed to do something else, but I'm just trying to figure out what it is. I'm kind of stalling right now. I don't want to miss God. Amen. Praise God. Well, let's just thank him one more time. Will you do that? Thank him one more time. Thank you, God. We just thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, God. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. You know, the problem the problem sometimes with us is this. We pray for things and then we go through things. And we don't associate or sometimes realize that the thing we're going through is connected to the thing we prayed for. 
So you prayed about something. He goes, oh, okay, I'll get that for you. But let me get you ready for it first. Oh, you didn't want to get ready for it. Oh, I see. But you just wanted you wanted to stay the same, and you but you wanted me to hand it over to you. It doesn't work that way. You prayed for this? Okay, I'll get you ready for it. And when I get you ready for it, then I'll make sure you have it. We don't connect the two very often, but they are connected. Amen? God always prepares us, and uh, he prepares us for what he has for us. You know, it was interesting. Can I tell you a little testimony? Sure. So it's interesting, when I first got saved, I felt called to the ministry, but I spent six years working pretty not great jobs. I could tell you a long story about them, but I never could. In fact, I would get so frustrated. I remember one time I, was, I had like a Holy Ghost frustration party in my prayer closet. I used to have a prayer closet. I'd go in there and scream at the wall, what God on it? You know, when God win, how God how, why God why? You know, that, that, you know. And he gave me a verse about contentment. Be content in all things. I thought, I can't. It's driving me crazy. The world's going to hell. I'm sitting here working this cruddy job. After when I got to the point of contentment, all of a sudden, one day, supernaturally, he put me in the ministry. Now I go, well, that was easy. After six years of struggling. And then now, years later, I look back and I go, ah, oh, I didn't understand what I was going through. He was preparing me. I saw it later. Ah. In fact, he spoke to me and said, you'd have never made it. If I'd have put you right there, you'd have never made it. And so he said, I had to put some steel. I had to give you a backbone. So that when, when all the opposition came, you wouldn't buckle. And there's things that God does in our heart. He does a work he does in our heart. You say, God, I want, I want to prosper. Well, I got to get all the greed out of you first. Because if, if I give you prosperity right now, it'll destroy you. If I, I want this, okay, I'll get that for you. But let me get this out of you first. And he knows how to do it. And that's what we don't understand sometimes. A delay is not really a delay. It's a preparation for the thing that God has for you. It, you might think that you're doing another lap around the mountain. You know, these laps around the mountains are getting you in shape. I remember... A guy, he was a part of a, how many remember the, the band Three Dog Night? So this guy, he, we actually had him here one time. Uh, he was a member of the Three Dog Night, and he got saved. But he said when he got saved, he lost everything. And he, the only way he could get around was a bicycle. Somebody gave him a bicycle, but he had no car. He couldn't get around any other way. So he'd ride his bike everywhere. He lived in Florida. Ride his bike. In the rain, he'd ride his bike. He couldn't figure out why. God, you gave me a bike. Why can't you give me a car? Here, I'm out in the rain and ride my bike. And years later, a doctor told him that was the smartest thing you ever did because he was so burnt out on drugs that God was helping his body repair and recover. And he couldn't figure out why. He had to ride this stupid bike everywhere. But it says he says God was, even as something so simple as that, God was preparing his body for the future that he had for him. And so God has that. So that's why you always have to step back and ask this question. God, give me an interpretation on what I'm doing, what I'm going through. Give me an interpretation. What is your interpretation of this? That's, you know what we call that? We call that wisdom. Wisdom is God's interpretation of the situation. That's why in James 1, he said, I'm trying to quit. I really am. I got my foot on the brake and uh, put, trying to put it in park. And, uh, but in James, he said, when you're going through stuff, he said, pray for wisdom. Why? Why pray for wisdom when you're going through stuff? Get God's interpretation. Don't look at it as a human would look at it. If you reason this out as a human, you'll miss it. You've got to look at it as a son and a daughter. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'm going to quit right now. So if we're going to have the prayer counselors, please come forward. If you need prayer, we want you to be prayed for. And so we have some refreshments. I think we have refreshments in the back. And uh, we want you to join us for some good fellowship. But these wonderful people up here, they want 
to pray for you if you have a need, whether it's physical, spiritual, you need somebody to agree with you, uh, whatever the need might be, mental, emotional, maybe you have a need in your family, you want them to pray with you. Uh, as soon as I dismiss, just make your way to the front and just wait and they'll pray for you. They'll agree. They'll get some answers for you. Amen. Well, it's been good to be together. Amen. It's been great seeing y'all. Y'all want you to have an awesome week. Amen. Pray for wisdom. God bless you, everybody. Join us for fellowship. You're free to go. And I want you to know that he can give you today a new future. We hope this message has been a blessing to your life. A copy of this message and additional Destiny Church materials are available at destinychurchexit77.org.